Patrick Dwyer is a senior product security engineer in the application security team at ServiceNow. He's also co-leader of the OWASP Cyclone DX project, a lightweight software bill of materials standard designed for use in application security contexts and supply chain component analysis. Patrick joins us to help us understand how Cyclone DX fits into the world of protecting your software supply chain. He explains why they started the project and what is the depth and breadth of it, how many people are using it, and what is the future for Cyclone DX and software supply chain. So if you want to gain an understanding for how you can apply SBOM into the applications and products that you're building today, check out this interview with Patrick Dwyer. You're about to listen to AppSec Podcast. When you're done with this, be sure to check out our other show, High Five. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Application Security Podcast. This is Chris Romeo, CEO of Security Journey. And today I am flying solo because Robert is traveling this great United States that uh, we we both happen to live in. Uh, Today we're going to talk about S-bombs, but we're going to talk about S-bombs in the context of an OWASP project called Cyclone DX. And so I'm joined by Patrick Dwyer, who is one of the team members on the Cyclone DX project. But before we get to that, we're going to ask Patrick about your security origin story, because our listeners literally sit on the edge of their seats waiting to understand where people are coming from in this great big world of application security. So Patrick, I'd love to to hear your security origin story. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, I guess really it started when I was a child, started getting into computers, started messing around with them. Uh, probably one of the key sort of moments was in high school. Our computer teacher at the time uh, thought his stuff was pretty secure and he even made a joke, oh, you can't hack the server, you know, give it a go. There's nothing you can do. So, of course, by the following day, the server was offline. Um, he wasn't too happy about it. It's, it's threatened, you know, in the entire class with, you know, expulsion or whatever. And so I put my <laughs> hand up and said, hey, no, no, it was me. It was just me. But you said give it a go. And, <laughs> and he sort of stopped right there. And, yeah, after that we had a great relationship, a lot of respect for each other. But it just sort of started really making me think with that sort of mindset of where things can go wrong. And that continued throughout my career. Started off as basically a one-man IT department for a small company. Uh, So I had to look after everything, network security, servers, all that sort of stuff as well. Then went to, became a software uh, developer by contract, so doing odd three-month, six-month, multi-year projects, things like that. That was more just come in and cut some code. Uh, But then my next job, I was leading the dev team for a small government organisation and had a lot of stuff we were looking after. And that included uh, our cloud environment, basically everything from where to go. And at that point, I was like, oh, the stuff that I've been interested in all this time, I really need to get up to speed on it because I'm now responsible for this stuff. And if it gets popped, it's my fault or my problem. 
so that's where I really got into AppSec. Very cool. So now I'm curious, was your was your handle in high school Little Bobby Tables? <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Everybody's got to have seen that uh, yeah. as an XKCD. Uh, we'll put the link in the show. I love notes, it. But the, it's, it's, a, it's a classic one too. And I always, I still laugh whenever I see it. It's like, and, and someone will kick it out on social media every, every six months or so and bring it back into the forefront. Uh, yeah. So, so you basically, st- you kind of started in IT, had it, did some development and then made your way to security. So kind of a, had a chance to experience a little bit of everything. So from the IT side, I'm guessing you were doing some administration and then you're coding and then you're making your transition into security. So having that strong foundation of, you know, the things that you're going to be discussing with people from a security perspective, you've got some some background in all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good um, breadth of knowledge. It's been quite good. Awesome. So I want to I want to transition into talking about Cyclone DX, but I'm going to ask a really simple question first because I'm not going to assume that our audience all knows what cyclone what a Cyclone DX even is or what it is, and so I'm going to go really simple with the first question and just say, can you just just give us a, a, a some details and some explanation about what is Cyclone DX? So Cyclone DX is a bill of materials standard uh, and associated tooling, and you know, the way we build software has changed. You know, we grab all these third-party components and bundle them into our software. And so the sort of traditional IT asset management of these are the applications we have don't doesn't really go deep enough anymore because we've got all these other third-party components in them. So it's just a way of understanding what's inside the box, you know, a bit like the food label that lists the ingredients of what goes into your food. Now, it's a pretty basic analogy, and we don't build software the way we build, you know, put together food, but it's, you know, it's similar to that. Okay, and so where did the name come from then of Cyclone DX? Like, it, it's, it's an interesting name, one of the most interesting names, I think, in all the OWASP projects. I mean, you've got Top 10, ASVS, you've got things like that, but Cyclone DX sounds like a pretty powerful name. Yeah, it's... Um, so the cyclone part of it is a reference to circular dependencies and the problems they can cause you when you're building software. And the DX part is a bit of a nod to another um, format called SPDX. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a, so it's like a hybrid or, so SPDX and Cyclone DX are not the same standard. Are they No, they're different. different? different in some way. So are they, are these, so we've got basically two competing standards in SBOM right now, or is there more than two that I'm not even, are there more that I'm not aware of? Uh, There's certainly more than two formats, but there's two main ones that have seen sort of widespread adoption. Uh, SPDX traditionally has come at it from the open source software license compliance sort of um, perspective, whereas Cyclone X come in from the security perspective. Okay. So I guess what was the need when this project was started? Like wh- why, why did Cyclone DX come into existence? Yeah, so there's a guy, Steve Springett. Um, he had a project called Dependency Track, and he was basically trying to come at the same sort of problems that you use SCA for, but a slightly different way. 
you know, SCA tools traditionally they'll, you know, they're about identifying risk in software and they look at evidence and things like that to try and figure out what could be in there and what vulnerabilities could be in there. But if you're building software, you should know exactly what is in going into it. And so he was tackling it from the, all right, well, these are the actual components we've got in our software and we'll go from there. And at the time, there wasn't really anything useful for, feed, for feeding that information into a tool like Dependency Track. And so he sort of started the Dependency Tracks stage and then realized, no, hang on, we need a bill of materials format to collect this information and feed in. So when I think about when I think about all these pieces working together, this has really got me. This has really got my my brain kind of spinning around a little bit. So I have software composition analysis. This is a tool that will you know I can run it in a build pipeline. It tells me and even sometimes breaks the build if there's some type of high risk vulnerability that exists inside of my application. I have. Cyclone DX, which is going to create a software bill of materials and then perhaps be imported into some other system that's going to aggregate all those things together for me. I guess the million dollar question is, it does Cyclone, is Cyclone DX a replacement for SCA or is it complementary to SCA in some way? I think it's complementary. Um, you know, it's particularly useful because it's a standard format. You can generate them for different ecosystems, like different package ecosystems, uh, share that information between different tools and automation. And yeah, that's really where the value comes from, where you're sharing this information between different processes. And so, so they have kind of different functions then. So I wouldn't use Cyclone DX in a build pipeline then, or would I use it? In yeah, a build you pipeline? would. You would. So you you build your you create your build materials as part part of the build process. And then you can do analysis on what's inside your software. Similar to what a CA tools do, you know, known vulnerabilities, things like that. But it gives you a much bigger picture of your supply chain. Okay. So do I still run my SCA tool in that same pipeline then? Or do I just run my Cyclone DX? Well, it depends on what you want to do. So is there a... It's a duplicate. So there is potentially some duplication of effort, though, if I'm running both of them. Or I guess they could be a check and balance to each other. Yeah. You have multiple layers of tooling. I know there's, you know, SCA tools generally are pretty good, but sometimes the accuracy of what the components are isn't quite 100%. And so there's certainly some value in doing both. I mean, one of the things you hear people complaining about with software supply chain related tooling is like SCA tools are not as good at determining if you're using a piece of code. Like you, are you actually using a vulnerable piece of that library? And so SBOM's not going to help me from that perspective though, right? It's not going to know. It's just, it's just a manifest of everything that's in there. It's not helping me laser focus. I don't really know if that piece of code is being called like in, in, in a vulnerable way, for example. Well, there are, there is some tooling there. Um, which generates a runtime bomb. So what's the components that we're using, like not just what's actually packaged in the software, but what's actually being invoked as well. Oh, so that's part of Cyclone DX? Uh, that's a third-party um, product. 
that uses okay. Cyclone that DX format. Yeah. Okay, uses Cyclone DX format to get to that level. Okay, but it still relies on the standard format that the project, the OWASP project, has has put forth to the industry. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So let's back up for a second. I probably got too excited about Cyclone DX and and dove in too quickly here. Let's kind of pull back up to the ten thousand foot view and let's just think about. Everybody's thinking about software supply chain, whether you're a CISO, whether you're an AppSec person, or even just a developer who maybe doesn't have security in their title or security as their primary focus. I feel like everybody has heard, you know, everybody's heard about the news stories about, you know, SolarWinds and CodeCov and, and all the things that have the big, and, and it seems like there's an NPM supply chain related issue once every week now, you know, that hits the news. So I feel like people know they know about, they're hearing about it, but I'm just curious to get your take on, you know, when, what is the value that Cyclone DX provides to the bigger software supply chain problem? I see it as an enabler. So by itself, it doesn't actually do very much. We're really, what we're talking about is asset inventory. But if you've got that across all of your software portfolio, that lets you do some pretty cool stuff, especially at the organization level. You know, when there's a big vulnerability that comes out, it's a case of, oh, are we affected by this somewhere? Having that accurate asset inventory across your entire fleet of servers, your cloud um, environment, being able to quickly go, oh, yeah, we've got this component and it's sitting on this um, app service in Azure or maybe it's on this server on-prem, especially because the things that software... You know, some people do continuous delivery, but most people don't really do it. And so you'll have, here's the state of the software in our source code repository. The current build says everything's cool, but we haven't deployed that yet. We're actually running an older version of that component in production. Hmm. Yeah, I'm also seeing the the value then of retrieving SBOMs in the Cyclone DX format from the companies you're working, you know, the services that are being provided to you as well. Because when you think about, you know, when a big um, vulnerability hits the internet, you know, um, you know, security journey, we provide uh, our platform to our customers, right? And we'll get a bunch of emails from people going, hey, are you, are you using this particular library? And, you know, there'll be a list of them and we have a canned response because normally we're not using whatever library, you know, was in question there. But I guess if you have an SBOM, in the Cyclone DX format, if I export that and provide that to you as a component of um, delivering my service, you can ingest that into your management system. You don't even have to ask me. You can just, you're just doing a query of, you know, wherever you're ingesting all the information to be able to say, oh, I know that Security Journey, for example, doesn't use that component because I've, we've, we've searched the, it's, you know, the SBOMs have been searched or the, the assets that are coming out of it. Yeah, there's, um, a number of good use cases in that respect in terms of sharing it between um, supplier and consumer. Especially, you know, open source software, often companies might do an internal fork. And so that component might appear to be an old, outdated component, but they could be backporting security fixes for it, things like that. So being able to say to your consumer, hey, we use this component, but we applied this security patch to remediate this vulnerability. Or it could be a case of, yes, we do use this vulnerable component, but we don't call the method that's vulnerable. 
So, yep, the vulnerability exists, but don't freak out. It's not exploitable. So you can communicate all that sort of information. So what are people using to collect all that? Like, where are they putting the output of all these S-bombs? Is there like a management system? Are they building custom tooling to represent all of, like import all of the uh, Cyclone DX S-bombs from all of my apps? Do they build like a custom dashboard or how do I, is there like an open source project that lets me wrap all this stuff together? Yeah, so the OWASP dependency track project is probably okay. the leading um, S-bomb platform out there. But then there's a bunch of different security vendors as well. Uh, that are integrating this capability in their product. Okay, cool. So that's the so so dependency track, which we've had Steve on before to talk about. Uh, Steve Springer to talk about the project and kind of where it came from. So it ingests those the output of Cyclone DX running for my JavaScript app, for example, and my uh, Python app, and it it ingests all that together and then lets me do queries and and determine search for certain things then across my whole fleet. Yeah, it also lets you export it. So if we're talking about that vulnerability sort of assessment workflow where, all right, we've got a vulnerable component, is it exploitable or not? It can, so dependency track can then generate output to give to your consumers uh, as to the outcome of that, like whether, yes, we are exploitable or no, we're not. Very cool. Yeah, I'm always... So thankful when I think about projects like Dependency Track and the Cyclone DX work that's been done here, because you look in the industry and you're like, you know, people are starting companies and selling products that are doing these same things that folks such as yourself are, are just, you know, sacrificing and, and putting your time and effort into making these things available. And so it just, I'm always so impressed with folks like yourself and Steve that are you know, operating behind the scenes, you're doing all this stuff and you're making these things available just to make the world a more secure place. And so um, I wish I could, I wish I could say thank you on behalf of the whole community. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, thank you on behalf of the whole community for, for doing stuff like that, because I know I, I haven't experienced it, but I know I, I just have an idea how much time actually goes on behind the scenes to making this happen. And it's not an hour per week folks it's uh <laughs> these guys these guys are spending a lot more time to make these things possible and make the world a more secure place so that's a really really awesome thing that y'all are doing thanks so how did you get involved with this then with this with the cyclone dx project yeah so it was that that the job where i became dev lead um at a organization and i was sort of freaking out a bit because i had a look and we had a lot of different um, custom developed apps and services and integrations and no no visibility across all of those things of the state of them um, so I went looking for solutions to this problem came across dependency track thought oh this looks exactly like what I need and then of course you feed it with Cyclone DX so then started using Cyclone DX myself and there was a you know, a couple of features missing that I wanted. So I contributed them, kept contributing. Uh, because I'd recently gone from a development heavy role to a role where I wasn't on the tools anymore, it was sort of a bit of a fun thing to do in the evenings to stay sharp coding. And yeah, went from there. Very cool. Very cool. So 
I mentioned kind of at the towards the top of our conversation that you know I I got to I got to Cyclone DX because I was trying to generate some S bombs and and I I got into it and I was like wow there's support for a lot of different frameworks and libraries and things here and so tell us tell us about the depth and breadth of this Cyclone DX tool like the, or the tooling that goes behind it like what languages are we supporting what you know how how wide is this thing. I can't even remember how many ecosystems we support now. There's heaps like Go, um, .NET, Python, um, Java, Node. There's just, yeah, pretty much any modern um, popular envir- um, ecosystem is supported. There's containers. Um, yeah, like actually starting to see this stuff be integrated into the native tooling. So Docker's now shipping a command that'll build a SBOM for the Docker images. Um, Go's got really good uh, inbuilt sort of metadata capture that enables a really accurate SBOM. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's, when I picked it up, I, I used the... Uh, I think it was the Node, Go, and Java, uh, and Ruby versions just to, and I was I was like really impressed because I'm like, there's support for all these different things, like all these modern frameworks and stuff have support in this in this tool. So, um, any idea how many people actually use Cyclone DX today? We've estimated it at over a hundred thousand organizations. Um, yeah, it's just based on downloads of the different Im- implementations, the different Docker images, uh, things like dependency track, because that's takes Cyclone DX. If you're using dependency track, you'll be using Cyclone DX. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it is a bit hard to estimate because we're an open source project. You know, we don't have a customer list or anything like that. Um, so yeah, that's reasonably conservative estimate. Wow, so that's so it's having a big impact across the industry. Then, I mean, that's a lot of lot of organizations that are using this, and you know, we know at the end of the day, adoption of SBOM is the answer that we've been working towards, and it's you know, from a vulnerability management perspective, from a you know, dependency and and tracking and management and vulnerabilities from that side, like it is it is ultimately the answer, and so. It needs people need to be incorporating it into whatever that they're doing. Yeah, it's been quite interesting actually, because um, yeah, the, there's been a lot of work in the U.S. federal government making this happen. Uh, executive order a little while ago, um, but there's a lot of interest around the world. You know, I'm from Australia. The um, Australian Cybersecurity Center recently added it to their um, ISMS. Um, yeah, like it's. Yeah, something which I thought was a bit of a niche thing is really widespread now. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. What do you see as the what's next for Cyclone DX? Like, do y'all have a roadmap that you're working from and you're trying to, you know, you've got future releases and stuff? Or, you know, what, what is the future of Cyclone DX? Yeah, so probably the two main features that we'll be working on for the next release will be support for AI and machine learning and low-code platforms. Yeah, we, uh, we've we got an industry working group, so we meet with them, 
talk about you know the challenges different folks are having in different spaces and yeah use that to help prioritize what we do next so you're somebody who's who's paying a lot of attention to the software supply chain when how long is it going to take us to get to the point where we get this under control um uh, that's a really hard hard uh, question because if you have a look at any of this stuff it's a lot of it's inherently broken and it's easy to shoot yourself in the foot uh so i think it could take quite a while so you think a decade is it are we that far away <coughs> from solving this problem i hate to declare that and then it'll end up coming true and people say he's the person that set us off on the wrong tra- wrong path I, here but i don't think it'll be that long um but it, yeah it's not going to happen overnight Okay, so some less than ten years, though we should have this thing under control, and and uh, I don't know. They've been saying we're going to solve SQL injection for twenty plus years at this point, and somehow it's still out there. Yeah, I think it'll be better. I don't think it'll necessarily be gone. Yeah, I guess as the tooling continues to improve and the solutions for managing these things will, um, people that are serious about it will adopt it and. You know, at least you'll have more differentiation between those who are taking it seriously and those who are not doing anything, you know, to manage their their dependencies and stuff that they have. So if if somebody's listening here and let's say they're a developer, they they're a Python developer, that's what they spend their day uh, working on, and they're wondering how to get started. Like, what would you recommend for somebody who's hearing this? They're like, this Cyclone DX thing sounds awesome. I want to I want to use it. I want to. I want to. I want to learn about it. Like, what? What would you? What, what advice would you give them here as somebody who's really close to the project? Pretty simple. Just pick a project that you're working on and download the tool for that ecosystem and generate an SBOM. Spin up a local instance of dependency track. It runs in Docker, so it's really easy to just quickly run and try out. And yeah, load your bomb your bomb in there and actually have a look at what's in there. You, you might be surprised. Um, maybe less surprised if it's ecosystem like NPM where you're expecting to have a bazillion dependencies come in, even though you've only got a couple of direct dependencies. But you know, the NPM, like you're like, but wait, I only added three packages. How can I have twenty five thousand dependencies? How is that possible? <laughs> and we're only quite, we're only partially joking. <laughs> yeah, that level of of dependencies that get unlocked depending on what packages you add, and it starts to hey, the cyclone. I get that now. You know, it's the the circular kind of uh, it continues on almost forever and ever too. Um, so, what what would you I guess give us a single call to action here? Give us a single key takeaway, something that you want to leave with our audience here. Start looking at the dependencies you're using. Like, even if you don't use Cyclone DX, like start looking at what you're actually shipping in your software because you know it might be a third party component, but it's become your part of your software that you're responsible for, you know, you have to pay attention to all of it. You can't ignore what is often the majority of your code. 
Yeah, that's great advice. And and there's a great a great place to end this conversation is people need to get out and, and start looking at those dependencies. And so, Patrick, once again, thank you to you for all that you do behind the scenes here to make Cyclone DX. I mean, I once again, I took it, I used it, you know, I, I, I all the efforts that y'all put into this, like I had a chance to use it firsthand in the last couple of weeks and was just, I was really impressed with how, how, wor- how it works and how clean it was to, to interact with. So thanks for sharing the knowledge about this thing. And um, I'm hoping a lot of our listeners will go check out Cyclone DX and put it into use. You'll find it at the place where you get all your good OWASP stuff. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. You'll find the show on Twitter at AppSec Podcast and on the web at www.securityjourney.com slash resources slash podcast. You can also find Chris on Twitter at EdgeRoute and Robert at Robert Hurlbutt. Remember, with application security, there are many paths, but only one destination.